Hey guys, last week one of our past guests was awarded one of the most prestigious awards in the culinary industry. Michael Solomonov's Philadelphia restaurant, Zahav, won the 2019 James Beard Award for Outstanding Restaurant. So, we thought it'd be a great opportunity to republish our interview with him. Plus, it's a great episode. If you like the episode, please share it. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Enjoy the show. I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. In recent years, Israeli cuisine has been on the rise, becoming extremely popular throughout Europe and the United States. This has many people asking themselves, perhaps rightfully so, what the hell is Israeli cuisine? Some critical voices even claim that many of the wonderful dishes Israel is claiming as its own are actually stolen, which of course echoes a longer, deeper controversy that has plagued the Middle East for about a century. In a way, you might say Israeli food is the Arab-Israeli conflict in a plate. But regardless, Israeli restaurants keep opening their doors on street corners in almost every big American city. Lines of clientele stretch around the block and lines of praise stretch across the food critics' reviews. Michael Solomonov is an Israeli-American chef renowned for his critically acclaimed Israeli restaurant Zahav in Philadelphia. He's the winner of several James Beard Awards, including Best Chef Mid-Atlantic in 2011, Cookbook of the Year in 2016, and Outstanding Chef in 2017. His cookbook, Zahav, A World of Israeli Cuisine, is a huge bestseller. Fortunately for us, Mike is now touring Israel and has, grac- has been gracious enough to let us interview him here in Tel Aviv. We are honored, we're extremely thrilled, and we can't wait to get started, so let's just get to it. Hello. Thank you so much. What up? How are you guys doing? <laughs> Great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for joining us. So let's uh, start with the, I guess, the big debate. Is Israeli food just a huge uh, cultural appropriation? Well, I'm glad that you're starting out really light. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that, listen, I understand um, where this like accusation would come from, right? Because if you want to make a case for Israel not being sort of allowed or having the right to exist, then of course you can use food. But A, I don't think, I think that it's just lazy to say that it's only stolen Arab food because I don't, I just think it's inaccurate. And I think that when, you know, when we were opening the restaurant, everyone was like, what are you going to open falafel, shawarma? And it was a, it was an issue for us because we were going to investors, a lot of them that are were Jewish or had been to Israel or were even Israeli. And they said, aren't you scared to call this Israeli cuisine because it's political? And I'm like, dude, that's where I'm from. Like, what do you mean? Is it political? Like, no. Well, I don't know. There's plenty of American restaurants. I mean, isn't that just as, isn't there just as much appropriation, whatever, genocide, like all this, all these crazy accusations that are not untrue. Uh, but like, why is it okay? What's the statute of limitation on land or cultural appropriation? And when is it okay? And I think that when it, when it comes down to uh, it, I think that that food is a method or this arena in which we can discuss these things. We can talk about individuality, independence, appropriation, conflict, commonality. Food is 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 a way to do this. And and when you, first of all, food comes from everywhere. 
food is not <laughs> there was no lemons in the Middle East until the Moors brought them after you know conquering everywhere or tomatoes um, in Italy. Stop. I mean, all of it. Pasta in Italy. Okay, like yeah. it doesn't matter. It all comes from somewhere else. Um, and I think that when you talk about specifically Israeli cuisine, to just say that it was like stolen from Palestinians, I mean, there, there, that's a something entirely different. Right. And if you want to be blunt about all this, Palestinians got screwed in this whole thing. Okay. And I totally recognize that. And I recognize Palestinians and I recognize Palestine and I recognize Palestinian cuisine. But you cannot say that Israeli cuisine is only Palestinian food. It's just not. Okay. Borekas on every single street corner tell the story of Jews post Inquisition leaving Spain going to the Balkans, getting conquered by the Ottomans, taking with them this Spanish dough that the French took to make puff pastry later on. We don't accuse them of cultural appropriation. Whenever I have like anything made with French puff pastry, but that's besides the point. And nor do I accuse England of stealing fish and chips, which they stole from Portuguese Jews, okay? We really? should trademark that shit. Yeah, absolutely. So... Yes, it, everything is stolen, right? Like so, then the Ottomans take this uh, this Spanish dough and they stuff it with feta cheese, right? And they after you know they conquer most of the world, and then we overthrow. Um, you know, my family overthrows the Ottomans using arms borrowed by, by by from Russians, which is why my last name is Solomonov. Actually, the original last name was Bahar. They wanted to honor all the Russian families that helped them overthrow the Ottomans, and they took the last names of Russian families, so Salamanov, right? And then they w bring with them this Boreka that has gone from medieval Spain, you know, through the Balkans, revolting against the Ottomans, through the war, through labor camps, on these boats to Israel in 1948, and now we have Borekos on every single street corner. Right. That, why is that? How is that stealing from Palestinians? It's not, it's not true. Like, so I don't want to... It's a dangerous, dangerous game. Right, yeah. and I don't, I don't, I want to, I want to be able to decipher the the, uh, you know, the sort of difference between like what cultural and food and land appropriation is versus what it is that we're talking about. By no means am I saying that there is not a Palestinian cuisine, and I think that that speaking, um, trying to empathize as much as I possibly can, I would say that Palestinian chefs are probably like, dude. Don't you, why can't you call this what it is? Why, you know, because I think that we have that issue here in Israel and maybe in the States where it's like taboo. We can call it Arab salad, right? We can do, what, what do you call the chopped salad in the U.S.? Cucumbers, tomatoes. In the U.S., we call it Israeli salad. What do Jewish Israelis here call it? Arab salad, you know? And so like, maybe there's a hesitation to say Palestinian. Maybe that yeah. rubs people the wrong way. It doesn't feel quite as comfortable. Maybe it's more taboo. Maybe in the back of our heads, we're in this sort of, we have this pressure with society saying, if we call it Palestinian, that somehow revokes the right for Israeli cuisine to also exist on the same plane. Maybe, right? But like, I, I don't know. I, I don't it's, think we're... It's, it's an interesting point though, because it's true. I don't think most Israelis would... Most Israelis, when they go get their hummus, they're going to get it from some Arab guy. They're going to Abu Hassan, like, Israelis, and they're going to... Israelis recognize Arab food all day long. Yeah. I think that when you introduce Palestinian or Palestine, maybe it makes people feel uncomfortable. On the other hand, like, Israelis have never... I've never met an Israeli ever that has said, 
Israel invented falafel or shawarma or hummus, right? Right. And I think what happens... Also, half of the Israelis are Arabs. Yes, and also Israelis just market Jewish the shit. Jewish Israelis. Israelis market the shit better than other people, and that's fine. But like that doesn't mean we're not claiming it to be ours. I've never, ever done that. But the fact of the matter is I'm not allowed, because I have Israeli citizenship and because even on my American passport, I'm not really allowed to go that many places in the Middle East. All of the Middle Eastern food, all the Arab food that I've had, all the Palestinian food that I've had has come from here, from Israel. You know, so I can't like I can't do more than that. I can't do more than say, you know, I recognize this and I'm sorry that you got the shit under the stick. But like, let's figure out what the next step is. How did you pitch Sahav to the investors? I said, I don't care if this is political. This is where I'm from. And what I said, this isn't just Middle Eastern food. This isn't just Mediterranean food. This isn't Arab food. This isn't just Jewish food, right? When you go to somebody's house here for Shabbat, that's what I want. I want the Moroccan and the Yemenite and the Tunisian and the Ashkenazi and the, you know, like Hungarian. And I want Cypriotic and I want all of that. And I want to like, I want to discuss what Palestinian cuisine is. I want to talk about what Jerusalem cuisine is. You know, and I want to represent the diaspora that all in the last hundred, I want to talk about Georgian cuisine, Ethiopian cuisine. That to me is Israel. You can't walk a hundred feet or excuse me, 30 meters in this country <laughs> Thank you without running into something that is um, not only evokes um, thousands of years of cultural uh, uh, heritage, heritage, but but more than that, it's this gastronomic celebration. It's this explosion of flavor and this walk through history and through crazy stuff like Inquisition, like Holocaust, like conf- like like independence, like what all these things are, you know, but you can eat it and you can celebrate it and you can sit around a table and discuss it. And you know, as well as I do, there's nothing like going to somebody's house for Shabbat. There's yeah. nothing like it. There's like multiple generations. There are these stories and it's not just Unless cuisine. you come from a Polish family. In that you case. know what? Polish food is awesome too and it gets a bad rap, you know? But you find it, it's, it's celebrated here. You know, and maybe now, maybe in restaurants. Listen, in restaurants, <laughs> in restaurants, it's just starting. But like the good food, the best food is in the people's homes. And it's not just like Yemenite food from it's Jewish, right? So like in a lot of ways, and not only is it laws of Kashrut and Shabbat that help give parameters to this cuisine, but it's a cuisine that doesn't really exist in Yemen anymore, right? Because there's right. no Yemenite Jews. It's like a so, capsule, time capsule. Exactly, exactly. So it tells a story. And there's I also, think, I guess, a level of maybe an element of poverty that's in it also. Definitely. Because 100%. they were always, you know, the most poor. Well, they were, and and what and what's interesting about that is that I mean, it, it's so different than everything else here. But yet now on the on the shulchan, when you come and sit down at a restaurant, there's schug on the table. Regardless, you could sit at a Bulgarian restaurant here in Jaffa. There's schug on the table, and that didn't ha- that wasn't happening 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was harif, or it was like some sort of pickled pepper or black pepper or whatever. Now it's schug. Right, I go to a Romanian restaurant in Haifa, actually three days ago. That yeah. doesn't that serves government white bread, serves pork, serves all these things. Still trina on the table. Right, right. It's a must. You have to have those things. And now, listen, schnitzel in baguette in Arab cities in Palestinian cities with amba 
is also kind of Jewish, dude. Like that didn't come here by accident. So like you cannot, like you can't avoid these things, you know? And I think that with popular culture and with food, it is this arena. It is this place that we can discuss these things. Do you think in order to be a good chef, you have to be also a philosopher? Probably not. No, <laughs> but it sounds like you have an angle. Yeah, Mr. because because all the good chefs are gr- are also thinkers. It feels like maybe sometimes. to write a good cookbook, you have. To We're be all a... fanatic. I have a very very intelligent business partner, and that's how you write a good cookbook. <laughs> He's a a brilliant man, and we've discovered this together. And and that, you know, so I didn't like go to culinary school. And say I want to like I want to modernize Israeli cuisine, or I want to globalize because people say modern Israeli. It's not modern. It's you know, what we have the luxury of doing not in Israel is looking at all these different cultures and being able to put them on one plate, which is also cultural appropriation, right? If you walk down the street here in Israel and say, ask somebody where to go for the best Israeli food, what is the answer? There's no, like, what is that? There's Israeli food everywhere yeah. here, right? But in the States, we can say, we can go Moroccan, we can go Tamani, we can go Druzi, we can go all these things, we can put together in one place and tell the story, you know, and that's the globalization of it and to be able to mishmash and maybe in ways cultural appropriate, like even Jewish food together. Uh, and that's what makes it modern. And that's what tells the story. So, okay, we, we started off a bit heavy, so we'll, we'll, uh, well, let me ask we'll you, does you that answer your question? And you guys living in Israel, I'm the, I'm the Westerner that's coming over talking about breaking bread and peace and all this cliched bullshit, right? <laughs> How does it sound to you? Like you just described it. Yeah. No, yeah. no I'm kidding. <laughs> no, You've I'm obviously kidding. lived in Israel long enough where you don't have to sugarcoat things. Yeah. I appreciate that. No, I don't think it's cliche. I think it's. I think there's there's truth to it. I think the the whole the whole cultural appropriation conversation is bullshit. I yeah. mean, obviously, there's no like food anywhere that's anything, and it's just like it's all mixed, and that's what makes food interesting. And like, and I think it's cool that Israeli food is like. It's so fitting that Israeli food is like that complicated. It's like if someone was to ask you, where do I get the best Israeli food? You're like, well, I don't know how to answer that question. Yep. But, um, but I, okay, but let's do maybe like a quick, because you, you said that the best food now is in homes and we can't really ask you to recommend someone's home. Yeah, we don't want people, people's addresses. Yeah, we don't want people lining up, but let's do maybe like a quick, like the class, and again, this isn't Israeli food. It's the food you eat in Israel. Let's this call is it Isra- that. No, it is Israeli food. It's absolutely Israeli food. Yeah. Do you want to know where to get the best Israeli food in Israel? I mean, I don't yeah. know. There's like a million places to but go. But let's do, let's do hummus. Where's the best, in your opinion? Maybe even you can give like two. Uh, Abu Michel in Lud. Abu Michel in yep. Lud. You've probably never even heard of it, right? Never heard of it, of but no. it definitely To me, the best hummus is in Haifa. Haifa's got really good hummus. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's great hummus everywhere in this country. And I think it changes, obviously what day you know what day it is of the week listen abu Hassan is great right yeah. said in Akko, great um but abu michel you said? abu michel and lud is the okay. best hummus in the best country. falafel devora devora in karkor or kadori in Orasharan. interesting also you in guys haifa have never, to me of course in haifa and have what, you been what? to any of these places no, no i've never no. but i'm gonna try them all i love this shit dude yeah 10 <laughs> years awesome. you've been here right yeah yeah they're the best 
I mean, maybe I've had it because you know when you're in the army here, you like travel around all of Israel yeah. on Sundays, meeting you know yeah, your yeah. your yep. your whatever in different places, and then yep. you just pick up the sh- the closest falafel or shawarma that's there. Yep. So maybe, right. but I don't know it. But let's do shawarma maybe, and that's it. Shawarma. Mm, what's the? I think it's really difficult. I think Hakos Hakosem here in Tel Aviv oh. is. Did you try yeah. Doctor Shakshuka's shawarma? No. No, but I should, I guess. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. now I have to stuff but my face with the got, best one. They kind of got like, uh, I don't know, too mainstream. They've got well, a- listen, also in Rosh Pina, mm-hmm. there is, I can't remember what summit that is, but it's on the way to Matula. Amazing shawarma. We had the best shawarma on the strip there. Hakosam is amazing. Yeah. Um, Hajj Khalil is amazing. Um, Hajj Khalil in Yafo? Yeah. The, like Kikala uh-huh. yeah, yeah. I yeah, haven't been there. Sick, dude. Really good. Uh, and there's that place in, in, um, oh, what's the place in the Golan, like right by, um, Majdal Shams, there's a place that's Ah. sick too, I can't remember the name of it though. Okay. Interesting. And, and I, I also, I want to talk more about you, like the idea of Zahav, how did it come in, did you always want no, so to, here's here's what happened. You ready for the like the long story? Yes. Okay. You ready? Yeah. I was born here in Gene Yehuda. My dad is from Bulgaria, but immigrated in 48 when he was like a year old. My mom, born in Ohio to um, like Jewish family. Uh, my grandfather was very involved in Israel bonds, you know, instilled probably a love of Israel then. My mom made Aliyah here, uh, met my dad. They had me. My dad wanted to move to the States, of course, because he's Israeli, and my mom wanted to stay. They ended up moving to the States. Uh, had my brother, David, there. We grew up in Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh, which is like a little shtetl, right? Um, with Jewish and Israeli identity. Um, moved back to Israel when I was 15. I went to boarding school in Paraschana, which is how I know Devorah Falafel and Karkor. Uh, stayed for one year, moved back, finished my senior year in high school in Pittsburgh, went to University of Vermont. Um, my, while that happened, my brother assimilated, became Israeli, uh, has bar mitzvah here, went to like middle school, high school, whatever, got into capoeira and then did what everybody else did and joined the military and became a sniper in Golani Shloshestre. My, I dropped out of college very quickly, moved here just cause I had nowhere to go. Um, got a job working at a bakery in Farsaba. Just because I was like walking up the street and needed a job, like speaking almost no Hebrew with three semesters of art doesn't get you super far in the job market here. <laughs> tell us about it. I'm sure I tell you about it. I'm sure every birthright kid that moves that decides to make Aliyah has got the same story as me. But I had a my mom. You know my parents. My parents got divorced, but my brother, my mom, and the Russian wolfhound named Fred lived in this little <laughs> apartment in Kvarsaba. I got a job working at a bakery. Fell in love with it. Um, got a job then working at a cafe. Really loved cooking. Decided to go to culinary school in uh, Florida because I'd run out of like my parents' hard-earned money, basically, from snowboarding and smoking weed, which is what you do in college in the states. And then um, while that happened, my brother, you know, was in Golani and um, you know was a fighter or whatever. So uh, I ended up moving to Philly. I was working at an Italian restaurant named Vetri, and we had this break. <clears throat> in August for three weeks because it was like he was like definitely wanted Italian culture in his restaurant so taking a three-week vacation in the summer is super non-American right um, that coincided 
with my brother's three-week little break before the end of his army service, my mom says, I will buy you a plane ticket, but you have to cook dinner for my friends. I accept the offer. I'm thinking that it's like six of her friends sitting around the kitchen table, but it's like, in fact, 15 people, two nights, 20 courses. You know, it was like she wanted me to like actually cook. Um, and my brother and I had not lived on the same continent in like three years or something like that. We reconnected totally became best friends again and also traveled up and down the country finding like ingredients for this dinner, these two dinners that I had to cook for my mom. Right. So I very quickly, you know, fell in love with Israel yet again, because this way it was, it was through the lens of a chef. So we went to Opera in Khadera and got the Yemenite spice from Marak Tamani that I crusted like veal rack with for this dinner. We got Amba. We got like, I, I, you know, learning through Israel, through food from my 21 year old brother, who was not a foodie, but just understood where all this came from was mm -hmm. fascinating. So cooked these dinners, in my opinion, I think they were awesome. Reconnected with David and then left uh, to go back to Vatry restaurant where I was now the sous chef. Uh, my brother, a month later on Yom Kippur was killed in action. Um, and I, in a way it's not like fell in love with the country is the right word, but like you definitely, your identity is completely, you know, sort of tuned up or completely fucked up after something like that happens. So I fly back and bury David and then go back to the States and don't know what I'm doing in the States. You know, it was super difficult. Um, and, um, it, it did it kind of, you felt lost afterwards. Well, I definitely didn't want to cook like Italian food after that, but I couldn't, put my like foot on what like you know I didn't really know what was happening um and it was obviously such a traumatic experience that you know it took me like five or ten years to figure out what it was that I was thinking you know but what I needed to do was be attached to here and I needed to figure out a way to be close and for a long time you know I struggled with like drug addiction after that um I mean, I struggled with drug addiction before that, but like it crystallized after something like that. So traumatic happens. And I just felt like out of, you know, I had started working out. I wanted to join. I wanted to like, be, you know, enlist and move back to Israel and like all these things. And I really, what I wanted to do is be closer to David. I'd missed so much time and it was so hard. And you had just had this, like this, yeah. this time. It was with the him. first thing, man. I get like, there are all these crazy things that happen when you go through that much grief looking, you know, coming back from um, driving, after getting this phone call, getting back, it was on Yom Kippur. So all my friends, um, even the ones that I was super close with still that were with me in um, the boarding school here, they'd come back from shul, right? Because it was Yom Kippur and their screensavers were like Haaretz or Jerusalem Post. And there's a picture of my brother on the front page. I mean, so it was like all these weird realizations sort of um, like reinstilling this idea that David was actually dead, right? And then it was like the next morning, like going to the airport and getting on the LL flight and like, you know, they hand you the newspaper and the front page was like a picture of my brother on a stretcher with all these, all of his Vatikim that were over him. Like, like uh, they were all kids that I had met on the beach like a month before or in the, club or whatever i mean it was so crazy and then you get off the airplane and i go to my mom's apartment and all the obituary notices are all over the wall and like it was yet, yet another 
thing to remind me that like this had actually happened, you know? And so I don't know. I don't know what happened. Like you, you, uh, there are all these crazy stages. So here's what happens, right? So a couple months later, the restaurant that I'm at also closes again for the holidays, which is again, a very Italian thing to do. So I'm like, I'm going to go back to Matula and I'm going to cook for my brother's army unit. Uh, I was still in the old British mandate base and I want to go cook there and uh this is after after and my chef and mentor mark vetri says i'm coming with you i'm gonna cook with you and uh wow and he was like we'll roast a suckling pig and i was like no we can't <laughs> can't do that for the idf so we go and we pick mark up and i came a couple days earlier to visit my family and i we pick up mark at, at uh, ben gorion and then drive all the way to matula and he's like exhausted and i'm like what is wrong with you didn't you sleep on the airplane and he was like i was on one of those like birthright airplanes so uh-huh. it was like i didn't sleep it was all these 18 year old american kids getting like whacked drinking like vodka tonics on their on this like two-week vacation right <laughs> so we pick him up and we go and we cook and uh he gets a tour of like matula and david was killed like in an apple orchard on the lebanese border right from hezbollah snipers that were in lebanon firing through international borders uh and you can't really like explain that to somebody especially somebody in the states our we don't know what that means, right? Yeah. So this we, is what, 2003, four? He was killed in 2003. So it was like probably 2003 or four, like, or mm-hmm. like on January 1st, you know? So um, it was before the Lebanon War, mm-hmm. the, the second or third or whatever. But so we um, cook. And then at the end of it, Mark looks like he's in tears. And I'm like, what, you know, what's going on? And he was like, this morning, I was surrounded by these 18 year old American kids that were on their way to this like vacation. And now I'm surrounded by these like 18 year old and 19 American uh, Israeli kids that are um, covered in mud that have like M 16s on their back that have like three minutes left to eat. So they can then go out and patrol like your brother did. Like, 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 and it just affected him in a way that maybe was a light bulb in my head. And I was like, I just need to bring people here because they're, um, what you do you know, mean bring people here? I need people to understand, A, who my brother was, B, what this country is all about, C, not make these like rash judgments about a place that they don't know anything about, you know? Like, I don't, my brother was a wonderful, peaceful, fantastic kid, you know? And what he was doing was something that was every Israeli has to do regardless of where they are in their politics, you know, and all he was doing was responding to a censor on a border with an enemy country and was shot by three snipers and nobody, it doesn't. And there was no, there was a blip on CNN. There was nothing about that afterwards. There was no, that should be a no fire zone. And there was fucking Hezbollah on the other side firing into Israel. And I'm not like, I'm not, I am a peaceful Dude, but I'm mm-hmm. like that is nonsense, mm-hmm. and Americans need to understand what it is that we just they're... pulled out of Lebanon a couple of years. Before. We sure did, and that should be a no fire zone. And there are UN tr- and I I'm, I did not mean to get into politics, but here we go. There are UN trucks next to Hezbollah trucks that are right over the border, you know, and they're and they're Hezbollah snipers that killed David. And mm-hmm. what happened after that? So I'm not saying. 
and I'm not like, understand, I'm not saying go in there and wipe out Lebanon at all. And I'm also recognizing that those snipers had a job to do just like my brother probably would have had to do as well, right? If he was ordered, but it's messed up. And I'm like, and David was a wonderful kid that did not deserve to die that way. And I go through, and now, you know, I'm leading these like tours of people and I take them to Metula. You know, and just the north is just it's right north. on the border. It's as far north as you could be. And it's this beautiful, even the, the apple farmer who owned the land brought this basket, this crate of apples to the Shiva. And they were the sweetest goddamn apples I've ever had. And to realize that such a horrible thing could happen, such a beautiful part of the world with such sweet fruit growing is this crazy ass dramatic juxtaposition that lives. It's in real time here in Israel. It's not a story. It's not a movie. It's not a miniseries. Things didn't, even if you look today at that border, it's not that different than back then. No. Yeah. No. So I brought people here on this trip there, and I wasn't doing it because I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to like promote an initiative that I don't believe in, but like you have to understand that this is what a consequence of this country is, you know? And my brother, you know, and I, and I also said this as well. I'm like... Always in one breath, I'm like, you know, this is the consequence and this is the sacrifice that, it, that you know, to have a Jewish state. And But in the same breath, I'm like, I would give up almost everything that I have, almost everything for another minute with my brother, you know? And it's a dangerous You were 24 place. at the time, right? I was 24 were, and he was 21 yeah. years old and like that was it for him, you know? Yeah, no, it seems to, to me, it's, it's amazing because it's, it's not, it's like... It seems to me like you're conflicted about the politics. And so you said to yourself, kind of, fuck politics. This happened. I'm going to take people to where it happened and talk about the fact that it happened and talk about something that's true and at least get people to confront, you know, the reality. A hundred percent. And I think that that is without some sort of agenda. That's the way that's the the light bulb that came off in my head. It's like, I'm just going to bring people over here and we do it in a way through food in the rest. You know, if I could bring everybody over here myself, I would do that, but we can't. So it's like an embassy. Know, listen, there's 300 people all around between 250 and 300 people that come into Zahav a every, day, every day. A day that hopefully are touched. They hopefully have a visceral reaction to what it is that we do, whether they're Jewish, Israeli, Muslim, Palestinian, like Iraqi, from Mars, I don't give a shit. I want you to come in and eat and experience the things about this country that I love and the things that my brother died, you know, defending and, and that, and you can do whatever you want with that. Like I don't need more than that. And even in a way, um, you know, somebody asked me about the cookbooks, like, why do you do this cookbook? I'm like, I dedicated the cookbook to my brother. So a hundred thousand people read his name. That's actually enough for me. I don't need more. I don't need more you know, that comes out of it. But like, of course, I want to talk about my family history. I want to talk about my, uh, the history of this country, these things that I love and my badass, great restaurant and the team uh, and this, this cool restaurant that we have in Philly. Um, but I also think that like you, you know, like I said, there's now this, this vocabulary, this language that exists amongst people, this food, you know, it's like that line that we sort of tote where it's like, we talk about Arab food in this country and that like we, but that means something. That means something that we can then discuss, that we can be diplomats. I mean, diplomacy as we know it doesn't work, right? The people mm -hmm. that are in place right now to be diplomats aren't necessarily doing their job. Nope. And I don't want to be 
the American that's coming over here playing Kumbaya saying, I'm going to cook a meal and there's going to be suddenly peace, you know? But you know what? The rest of it isn't working either. So let's like... I don't know. I'm not totally convinced. I feel like if people tasted your food, they might actually put their guns down. (laughs) Listen, I don't don't expect that, but I do expect a narrative that doesn't... that that we don't see, that that isn't um, right in our faces. And I do expect a voice from either side to discuss. I mean, it's really difficult for me also, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, but like we're always under this microscope here and it's not <laughs> there's something else to it that i don't quite understand right there can be atrocities happening all over the world the moment israel does anything messed up it's like yeah. suddenly people freak We're out the devil no it's definitely it's definitely uh not uh proportional but, but isn't, isn't it interesting that in in america where Ju- america's jury is it feels Parts of it is are drifting apart and assimilating, and this is the direction some say the Jewish community is going to. Which is what uh, to assimilation, and apart from Israel, apart from Judaism, maybe. And then comes your restaurant, and it's like a counter stream to that. I mean, I sense. can relate. You know, I, sometimes you relate to your identity through. I mean, these reactions, these memories I have from my grandmother cooking are enough. For me to be excited about where she comes from and where my family comes from and to have pride you know and if that that's fine i don't if it doesn't work in shul then okay this is cool i'm okay with that and if we have to do hasbara and i have to promote this country and religion and all these things through food then that's also okay i don't it doesn't need to be i don't need to like and i and i love federation i love every aspect of these things i mean israel bonds is part of like my family's history <laughs> Sweet, yeah. but um, I don't Sound know. I don't think to. I don't think you know. I think that the issue is that when you complicate and you put these like parameters and barriers on how you should either be Jewish, be Israeli, be Muslim, like all those things, it doesn't. It's not productive. Black and white. It's not productive, and it's not human. Yeah. What is human? is having a conversation on what is human is falling in love. What is human is talking about the way that you feel and like your relationship to like where you come from and to say that I'm not, what relationship has ever worked with zero compromise? It doesn't happen yet. We do this with like countries where we say, I'm going to put my foot in the sand. I'm drawing a, a, a line in the sand and I'm saying, well, this can't happen because of this. It doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, have you guys ever been like, in a relationship? <laughs> Many of them haven't. Okay. So. Probably not a normal, probably not a normal relationship. So, right. Exactly. But, uh, I want to, I want to ask you, cause I don't we don't have much time, but, um, you mentioned that David's death kind of led you into this dark place and sent you down this, uh, this spiral. And I've read somewhere also that you didn't even realize kind of where you were at. Like you didn't realize that it was even the, a problem at the time, which I guess maybe is, is common to being in that situation um, with drug addiction. Uh, and I'm wondering what brought you. I mean, because you're, you're. I don't want to equate success with kind of being healthy, because you know, obviously, there's a lot of successful people who still have those problems. But it seems like you managed to channel it into a, a place where you were able to pull yourself out of it. And I'm wondering how that happened. I was pulled out of it, and I could lean on people and my business partner of many years and my uh, wife at the time and a good friend had an intervention went through all my stuff 
and said, you have a problem. We need to take you to like detox and rehab. And my partner, I mean, we'd invested everything together. And my wife and I had been married for like two years. And I was hiding an addiction, a serious one from them. And what a lot of people would do is say, well, I'm so betrayed by you. You're out. And they did. They embraced you. They embraced me. And they not only that, I mean, I couldn't go a block. I couldn't go 10 feet without like wanting to relapse. And, you know, my business partner would pick me up in the morning with his son. And now he's three kids. But at the time, it was only one. Would pick me up from a 12-step meeting that I would go to, drive me into work. And my wife at the time would pick me up every night and drive me back home. And, you know, I couldn't drive myself and I couldn't carry money. All those things are like triggers and it was like diligent work on my part and also leaning and asking for help. Um, but did you did you have any objection at the time that, that kind of they interviewed? Because I feel like if you didn't realize, you must have been like, no, fuck off. I like, realized at that time I had been hiding this thing. I was in so much pain and I'd been hiding this. And my, you know, it's a weird thing, man. When you are an addict, you manipulate people that are alive and dead. And I used my brother's death and as, as an excuse. And that felt awful, awful. And how do you deal with guilt and pain when you're a drug addict? You just go right back out. So it was this cycle. And I felt like I had this opportunity for once in my life, to be honest, and say, I have a problem and I need help. And then after that, I spent the next couple of years really uh, making amends to my like dead brother you know, which is crazy, but like, I I don't know. He deserved it, you know, no, and I did makes... use him and it really sucked. But yeah. And so now what do we do? We honor uh, our families. You know, I get to get people to know him and, and that's also enough. And we celebrate Israel and uh, we use this platform that now we have with like popular culture and this interest to hopefully... Um, be diplomats for a country that I think is very misoften understood and a country that I love with its shortcomings. I love, I love this place. I love where we are, you know, and I think that um, the next stage is, is that it's really finding commonality and bringing people together. And um, you see yourself live here in the future or opening a I don't restaurant know, man. here? It's hard. I love, I would like to be here in the summers. I would like my boys to have identity here. Um, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I love Philly. Philly's a great, great place. And uh, I have a, I have a question. What yeah. would you say to uh, maybe, maybe this is kind of too dark to finish with, but what would you say to one of your sons if they said they wanted to join the IDF? That's uh, a tough question, man. I don't know. I mean, I think it's really difficult to... There's a certain amount of control you have in your life. And I've realized this maybe the hard way, but also now as a parent, I'm like, you you know, at some point you have to just trust that things are going to work out, you know? It's a difficult thing. What would you do? I mean, I, I've... Just bring girls. I don't have the past that you have, and I, I want to raise my kids to to join, and I, I think I, I would be upset if they didn't, but, I mean, again, I can't I can't come from the place that you're coming, so I'm wondering, you know, kind of... Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want my kids to be proud of where they're from. They are from here, and that's fine. When you have to... <laughs> I had to 
put my 21-year-old brother in the ground. He will never know my kids. He will never get married. He will never have kids of his own. He will always be a 21-year-old child. And like I said before, I'm always, we're always in this conflict. We're always in the struggle. I'm always in my head about this where I, on one hand, know that like the sacrifice that he made, I don't even want to say necessary, but it just is what it is, right? So I get it. This is like a very important place. But like I said, with the exception of only a few things, my kids being one of them, I would give up almost anything to be able to tell him how much I loved him and how proud I, I, I am of him and how to introduce him to my sons, one of which is named after him, and to to watch him have a family and be and grow up. Like you cannot quantify there is no metric to human life that's the absurdity so of know. life here of existence here right? i don't know right so i don't know how to answer that question i didn't i didn't i didn't know your brother i don't know you that well but i feel like i you certainly do now bro you know yeah. me well i feel like i could say that i i i think he would be he'd be pretty proud of you know what you're doing he'd be pretty he would say that probably again i don't know him so but i think he would be proud of of what you've done yeah, with the situation it's because it's, it's inspiring. inspiring yeah it's an inspiring story you're an inspiring man and you know we I, i'll say this um you know living here you see grief everywhere right because your brother's story is the story of tens of thousands of people here and 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 hundreds of thousands of family members but it, it, people deal with that in different ways and some are more admirable than others. I mean, some people sink and it's it's heartbreaking, and some people uh, build something. And I think it's beautiful when you see someone yeah. who built something out of that experience, and it gives hope. And uh, let's hope uh, we'll have peace one day. Although, if we don't, we at least get some tasty food out of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. Well, thank you guys so much so, for having me on. Thank, thank you. you for, Sorry for, for making it so. Uh... Dude, bring it, man. This is what we're here for. <laughs> but uh, Zahav is your restaurant, and people are Zahav invited. Zahav is the the Zahav. Everybody should come to. We've got a bunch. Steve, my partner, and I own a bunch of restaurants in Philly. We are opening three more Israeli restaurants in the next year. Wow! To round out nice. our village, one of them, speaking of village, is named Kfar. Nice. This is going to be a mafia, like cafe, like bakery. Um, Do you have after... anything in LA or just? No, uh, okay. but you know, take a flight over and come yeah. over. It's easy. Um, we'll show you around. But yeah, come to Zahav and say hi. I'm usually by the taboon uh, making lafa. Nice. <laughs> That's great. And thank you so much for coming. Before we go, we have a collaboration with the Jewish Journal, JewishJournal.com. Yep. They have amazing uh, articles, podcasts. Check them out. And and we also we do this on our free time, guys. So if you guys want to donate to NJB.com slash donate. Thank you so and much. And follow uh, Michael on Instagram. Yeah. It's essential. <laughs> you have to do it. You at, have to do it'll that. make you hungry. At Mike Solomonov. <laughs> yeah. Give me a ring. Come to Philly. Say what's up. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.